You know what I don't understand? Lucy asks Charlie Brown in a Peanuts cartoon. I don't understand love. Charlie Brown replies, who does? Lucy says, explain love to me, Charlie Brown. Charlie says, you can't explain love. I can recommend a book or a poem or a painting, but I can't explain love. Lucy comes back. Well, try, Charlie Brown, try. As is always the case, Charlie can't say no to Lucy. He can't resist doing what Lucy tells him to do, so he says, well, let's say I see this beautiful, cute little girl walk by. And typically, Lucy interrupts. Why does she have to be cute, huh? Why can't, she, can't someone fall in love with someone with freckles and a big nose? Explain that. And poor Charlie says, well, maybe you're right. Let's say I see this girl walk by with this great big nose. But Lucy interrupts again. I didn't say great big nose. Well, by this time, Charlie Brown has had enough. He sighs that typical woe is me sigh and says, you not only can't explain love, you can't even talk about it. As is often the case, Charlie Brown is touching upon a profound truth. In this case, the difficulty in discussing love the most memorable discussion of the subject is right here in this text. This text from 1 Corinthians 13 is often used at weddings or funerals because it is so memorable. Memorable, but not always well understood. Charlie Brown and Lucy were discussing romantic love, falling in love. But this is not what scripture means when it uses the word. We are commanded to love by Christ when he says, a new command I give you that you love one another. You cannot command attraction or emotions. What you can command is the will. Love, as scripture uses it, like faith, is not a matter of feelings primarily, but an orientation of the will, even of the very person himself or herself. St. Paul sets this discussion in the midst of teaching on spiritual gifts without the same orientation toward others that God has toward us. In short, without love, they are useless. Love is the orientation in our actions and being that puts the other first, that treats the other the same way that God treats us. It's the exact opposite of the selfishness that is sin in us and the narcissism that is so prevalent in our society. A nurse was tending the wounds of a soldier who had been left out on the battlefield for three days without medical attention. His wounds were not cleaned and gangrene had set in. The stench was almost unbearable. A newspaper reporter looking on said, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. The nurse responded, neither would I. I doubt very much that she did it because of an emotional attachment she might have had toward that poor soldier, 
although any number of movies would run the plot that way. The question is not readiness to love, but willingness, the will to put the other first. It is that orientation of the will that Paul then goes on to describe in the text. And what a description it is. Love is patient. That means it keeps on task in working to enhance the well-being of the other person whom it is serving. It understands that things in the kingdom of God happen in God's time, not our own, and so it persists, it hangs in there. And in that way, it has the same strength as water, which eventually wears away stone. It is so strong that it is not bent by the fickle winds of social pressure or anything of that sort. It has convictions, you see. Convictions that won't crumble in the face of running into adversity and difficulty. And so St. Paul rightly says, love bears all things. This moves beyond patiently putting up with difficult people. The Greek words translated bears could also be covers. And then we would have a picture of love casting a veil over the weakness and failings of others. Proverbs 10:12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Does this mean that then it never confronts? Not at all, but if it does, it's for the right reason. Love is willing to hurt sometimes, but only in order to heal. Love's attitude toward evil has redemption rather than punishment as its object. But to bear also has the meaning of carrying the burden and blame of another on your own shoulders. Do you remember maybe from scripture, Isaiah chapter 53, that describes the coming and character of the Messiah? Surely he has borne, there's that word, surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. He took that upon his own shoulders all the way to the cross. It is on the cross that the Lord has laid on him, Isaiah's words, the iniquity of us all and covered over our transgressions. We have forgiveness and life because God in love did this. And so we too, if we have love, put up with things as well as believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. All things are their limits. Dr. William Ritter writes of a woman in his church who asked the difficult question, how many times do you take the prodigal back? He had been talking about the prodigal son, of course, and this woman asked the question as she walked out the door following the morning worship service. He knew this woman well enough to know something of the raw nerve that his sermon had struck. She too had a son a son who had been in and out of school, in and out of trouble, in and out of the house, in and out of jobs, in and out of sorts, and in and out of the state. The family had taken him back over and over again and had gone to bat for him, gone with him to counseling, loaned him money, found him a job, 
only to have their home disrupted by his sullen silences, or worse, his sudden outbursts. Now, as it turned out, he was home again, arriving as unannounced as he had left. His family never knew quite when he was coming or going. And so it was her question, quiet as it was, that carried with it the accumulated baggage of a long and painful history. How many times do you take the prodigal back? The allusion, of course, is to Jesus's parable of the prodigal son, the young man who took his share of the family wealth, took it in his own selfish, headstrong way and headed off to a far country where he wasted it and ended up in the gutter, so to speak. And then he came to himself and he realized that even the slaves back at his father's house had it better than he did. And so he says to himself, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say to my father, I've sinned. Take me back just as a slave. He determined to do this and so he did. But when he got near the father's house, the father, seeing him, ran down the lane, hugged him, took him back into the house put a beautiful clean robe on him and shoes on his feet and the signet ring of the family on his finger and announced that the fatted calf was going to be killed and there was going to be a great celebration. It's a great story about love. The love of the father in the story is a picture of the love of God for us who is willing, no eager to welcome the sinner home. The story pretty much stops there, but imagine what if on the morning after the party, the prodigal heads for the field and after a few sun-drenched days on the business end of a shovel, he says, who needs this? This is getting to be a drag. And what if he goes off again? Does the story repeat itself? If so, how many times, like many people experience in this world, probably some of you, when does the father begin to get a little tired of all of this great return stuff? Does he always run down the road when he sees the boy coming? Does he run as fast the fifth time as he ran the first time? Does he ever get to the point where he says, oh no, here we go again? Does God ever get to the point where he says, enough is enough? How many robes do you produce from the closet? How many fatted calves do you slaughter? How many times do you go down to the police station with bail money? How many counselors do you see? How many attorneys do you hire? How many times do you leave your door unlocked when you go to bed for the night just in case? How many times do you cook oatmeal to nurse how many hangovers? Paul says, love bears all things. But the question remains, how many times do you take the prodigal back? There is no easy answer. The answer obviously has to do with love. But newsflash, love isn't easy. We must remember a few things if we are to answer the question. The first is remember, honestly remember, how much God has put up with from you. 
On the cross, he covered over all of those times when you did wrong, whether by what you did or simply because you only thought about doing it, and cowardice saved you from being really stupid or evil. Ours is a gospel which errs, if indeed it errs at all, on the side of forgiveness and mercy. Ours is a gospel that is abundantly clear in its counsel toward patience and hope. A gospel that talks about second miles to be traveled, cheeks to be turned, and coats to be surrendered along with cloaks. A gospel that talks about the need to track down the one who is lost at the expense of the 99 who are saved. A gospel that defines the formula for forgiveness as being 70 times 7, which doesn't mean really that you need to forgive 490 times and boy, then let them have it. But it is merely another way of saying forgive until you stop counting. A gospel that talks about crosses to be born, enemies to be received, strangers to be embraced, and love that is meant to be string-free, a love that is like God's love toward us. Any imbalance within the love of God is an imbalance which favors last over first, least over most, and the sickest over the one who is well. Praise God for that. Where would the prodigals of this world be without it? Indeed, where would any of us be without it? But secondly, watch out. God is not the heavenly enabler, nor does he expect us to be so. His love can be tough. Just ask old Pharaoh with his stone-hard heart. Just ask the children of Israel who were forgiven and rescued again and again until God said that the only thing that will work is to let the Babylonians have at you. How long can someone bear all things and it still be love? The point is that love will work at figuring out the answer. It will consider long and hard and prayerfully what is best for the person it loves before it acts. Note, if you please, not what is best for itself. Love considers the other first, not the self. It will consider others, too, who depend on our love. It will not do good to take the prodigal back if by doing so we lose the rest of the family. It will consider its callings in life whether acting in one way will cause problems in our offices as spouse or worker. It will relentlessly question its own motives. Do I truly want to do this for her sake or his sake and not for my own sake? Does it recognize the ugly face of codependency? It will carefully seek advice from those who are best able to advise. How we work it all out, the number of times we take the prodigal back will never be easy to decide because, as St. Paul rightly points out, now we see in a mirror dimly. Things usually aren't very clear here below. But love takes the time, and love makes the effort. Love tries to figure them out, and love wants to do the best, always bearing in mind how much God has mercifully loved us. 
And that is how love together with faith and hope lasts forever. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.